You're listening to a recording of a sermon delivered at St. Rose Community Church. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.sdrosecc.org. I want to thank you for those who've been praying for my family. Um, my wife is in Georgia right now with her mother. Uh, who had emergency surgery on Tuesday, is still in the hospital. Uh, I appreciate all the, all the prayers and reaching out and checking on us. Anne-Marie uh, actually has the flu now while she's up there. Uh, so I am flying up today after service and going to go try to be support and, and uh, rotate off the hospital and watch the kids and all this kind of stuff. So I appreciate your continued prayers, and we'll try to keep you updated as we uh, hear updates. Uh, so we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 9, and I'm going to read verses 9 through 17 as we begin this morning, and we're going to pause and pray one more time for God to uh, help us understand. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver or precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, help us to understand what really is a monumental concept in the scriptures this morning. Father, help us to grasp this analogy that Paul has used to shape the Corinthian church. May this analogy shape our church, our understanding of the church, our cooperation with the church, our mission that we seek to carry out through the church, Father. I pray that you would, in this moment, do what you have said you do through 1 Corinthians, that by the power of God, by the Spirit of God, when the Word of God is preached clearly, that there is power that happens in the hearts and lives of those who hear, Father. We pray that you would stir our hearts to worship, ignite our hearts for mission, humble our hearts to repentance, and Father, lead some to salvation. I pray that you would use this moment of preaching, God. And Lord, I pray that you would carry me along by the power of your Spirit to declare true things. We pray all these things by your grace, for your glory. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. What are we doing in this moment? I mean, what is this? Where all of you woke up early on one of your only days off in a week and decided to come gather here in physical space and time to sing some songs and pray some prayers and listen to some guy get up and talk. What is this thing called church? What's the ministry we're seeking to carry out? What are we hoping to accomplish? How are we hoping to accomplish it? Is church planting or church revitalizing or church ministry really the thing we should be thrusting ourselves into as God's people? Or are we busying ourselves for something that man made up? Is this church stuff just an institution of arrogant men who want to stand on platforms and talk? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul wants to readjust the Corinthians' perspective about what it is they do when they gather, what it is that they are as the church. And as he argues for the internal significance of what we're really doing in this moment and what we're hoping to see happen in New Orleans and through the ends of the earth, Paul is arguing for something. He's arguing that God is up to something in the world, that God's building something in the world, that he's engaged in, uh, as he sort of puts it in the analogy, he, that, that God's engaged in this kind of cosmic building project. Verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, comma. We talked about the field analogy last week, but now the, the analogy shifts. You are God's building. Paul says the people of God in Corinth, you, you who make up the church in Corinth, you should consider yourselves to be like God's building that is being constructed, but not just any building. That analogy would be helpful. You know, you're building according to God's plan, with God's materials, even if it just stops there. But Paul doesn't want them to miss it. He doesn't want them to stop just at the analogy that they're a building. He wants them to know that they're a particular building, a special building. Look at verses 16 and 17. Verse 16, he's, he clarifies the analogy. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Truth number one this morning, God is building his church to function as his temple. God is building his church. Now, when I say church, I mean group of people who follow Jesus as Lord, believers. I'm not talking about this building that we sit in. God's building his church, the people, to function as his temple. And perhaps you've heard very often the concept that your physical body is the temple of God and you should take care of it. We, we say that all the time. This is, it's, your body's a temple. And, and it's true, that comes from a verse in the Bible. We'll even see it in 1 Corinthians. But that's not the dominant way that God uses, or that Paul uses, the analogy of the temple. The New Testament temple of God is not primarily your individual body, 
Rather, it's the assembly of the New Testament people in communities. It's all of our individual bodies coming together like living stones build a whole structure. So the you in verses 9, 16, and 17 isn't you individual. It's a second person plural. It's a you corporate. It's a y'all. I think we need to embrace the word y'all for the New Testament. It would help us to stop reading it in such individualistic ways. Y'all are the temple of God. The temple is the community of believing people. Now, that might not mean a lot to you on a first read. You might think, well, that's neat, and then move on about your life. But the Apostle Paul, when he says you're the temple of God, he has in mind one of the most profound theological concepts for a Christian person. Now, we can see the significance of the language in verses 16 and 17 and draw out some implications. Just look at verse 16. He says, do you not know? In other words... Pauline language, you should know this by now, right? Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, in the Old Testament story, God's temple was the place on planet earth where he manifested his glory, the place where his presence could be experienced, seen, and felt. In Genesis, the Garden of Eden functioned as God's big cosmic temple. It was the place where God placed his people to enjoy him and all of his good gifts. But because of sin, right, Adam and Eve are removed from that place. Because of grace, the story continues and God orders that the Israelites build a place. A physical temple in which even the furnishings and the decor would reflect back to the relationship they enjoyed in the Garden of Eden. Do you realize that the, the Israelite temple, as you walked through it, what was on the walls and in the furnishings reminded you of entering into the Eden-like relationship with God, where nothing was, was separating with God. It reminded you of that moment where you could be in the presence of God, but it also pointed you to a future day where God's presence would consume everything that exists. A future day where his presence would be enjoyed in the whole world throughout the whole universe. The psalmist understood the symbolism in the Old Testament temple. Psalm 78 verse 69 says this, he built his sanctuary, speaking of the temple, like the high heavens, like the earth which he has founded forever. So so, so the temple was this physically tangible, located place where God's presence was made known in the midst of a very dark and broken world. And as much as an earthly physical dwelling place could, the physical temple in the Old Testament was designed to point to God's magnificence. You can find the details of its construction uh, in First Kings, let me read just a couple examples here. First Kings 5.17, at the king's command, they quarried out great costly stones in order to lay the foundations of the house with dressed stones. In chapter 6.20, it says the inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, 20 cubits high, and they overlaid it with pure gold. 
He overlaid an altar of cedar, and Solomon overlaid the inside of the house with pure gold. He drew chains of gold across in front of the inner sanctuary. He overlaid it with gold. Chapter 6, verse 28, he overlaid the cherubim with gold. Chapter 6, verse 30, the floor of the house he overlaid with gold. In the inner and outer rooms, chapter 6, 35, on the doors he carved cherubim and palm trees and opened flowers, and he overlaid them with gold, even applied on the carved Work. As far as the Israelites were concerned, this physical structure was to display how glorious their one true God was in comparison to all the false gods of the world. This is where you come to worship the true God, to know Him and be known by Him. The place where God descended into time and space to manifest himself among his people. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, if you're a church member here, you will have recognized this uh, passage from our membership class. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 talks about the moment God's presence filled a physical structure. Listen to what happens. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. In Genesis the Garden of Eden was the temple. In the Old Testament, the Solomon's, uh, Solomon's magnificent building was the temple. But God's intention was never to isolate his greatness to a particular building. I want you to consider with me now, jump forward to the end of the biblical story. The end for which we all wait, where God will make the whole earth his dwelling place. Listen to the end toward which we look as Christians. Revelation 21, verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And if you jump to Revelation 21, verse 22, listen to the surprising thing about the new world God makes. Listen to the surprising thing, verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light. The lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. The kings of earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut. There will be no night there. They will bring it into the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, God is building something. This this whole story of the Bible could be told as the story of God's presence among his people. Beginning in Genesis, where it was all perfectly present with God, being broken by the fall, and then through Jesus bringing to completion again in Revelation. God's building something. He's building a place where his people can enjoy his presence forever and ever. I skipped something there in that story, didn't I? You've got this story of the temple, but what about right now? 
Where do we experience the presence of God now? Where do we know and make him known now? God's physical temple has been destroyed. In fact, the region where it was built is being bombed right now. What is God's plan for his manifest presence now? Where can his people know God or come to know, experience him at all? Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? When anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God, God's temple's holy. And you, y'all, y'all are that temple. St. Rose Community Church is a collection of living stones. A temple of people who believe upon him. Who are themselves filled with the spirit of God as they live in Christian community with each other. When Peter stood up to preach the first Christian sermon... Fire fell down from heaven, and the glory of God filled a new kind of temple. The church that was coming into being that moment, who were receiving the word of God and professing it through their baptism. This means that when we gather together as God's redeemed people, what's happening in the room? What are we doing this morning? Why do we want to plant churches anywhere other than here? Why is that a big deal? Well, it's because in in time and space, the local church is where we can enjoy the manifest presence of God. And it's where the unbelieving world looks to see what the one true God is like. Listen to how Paul puts it elsewhere, Ephesians 2, 22. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Listen to how Peter puts it. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Be a Holy Spirit priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Christian, this, this is your calling. As a living stone in God's cosmic building project, your involvement in this local group of messy sinners trying to serve the same Jesus, your involvement in this is a contribution to God's work God's cosmic building project of building a living temple, a temple that's ever-growing and ever-expanding, and that one, way, one day will encompass the whole world, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. This is God's plan, to manifest himself with the praise of his glory through his people that make his temple and expand it to the ends of the earth. And he's actually invited us not just to be stones in this, to be builders in this. To, to contribute in the ever-expanding temple that will f- encompass all of creation. Truth number two, God is building his temple through us. Let's back up to verse 10. Look and see how Paul thinks about his own ministry. Verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it, let each one take care how he builds upon it. So here's the Christian ministry. We're building something here. We're building upon something here. We're taking care to build upon this something. And this isn't just a small building project. This is massive. I like how D.A. Carson uh, Uh, reminds us that building projects of the ancient world were different than building projects of today's world. He writes, we will understand it better 
if we remember what a slow process building a great edifice was before the days of power equipment. This is hard to imagine that building projects were worse than they are right now. <laughs> Cathedrals in Europe often took four or five centuries to complete. Sometimes longer, in Paul's day, a temple, much more a modest Ephesus than, than a, a, a edifice than a medieval cathedral, sometimes could take decades. So one builder might lay the foundation, others would complete various phases of the building project and then would move on, retire, or die, while still others would take their places. See, what Paul has in mind here is that God is building something that is bigger than us. <laughs> Paul has in mind a long, big, elaborate building project which all of God's people are contributing to according to their ministry assignments over the course of time, and they may die before they even get to see the fruition of all that they've been laboring toward. Now, now what does Paul mean by this? What does he mean by building? And what, what does it mean for you as, as someone to take care of how you add or build to this church? What does it mean? Does it mean slinging a hammer? Or using a nail gun? I hope not. I've seen some of you use nail guns. <laughs> right? <laughs> One person knows who I'm talking about. <laughs> what does it mean for us to build with living stone? Right? What kind of work is Paul actually encouraging us to participate in? Well, it would seem this church planting work, this church strengthening work, it's the work of telling real people the truth about Jesus, leading real people to faith in Jesus, and then leading them to, to join together as a living stone into this thing we call the local church, and, and then helping them to grow in godliness so that one day they too are adding living stones to the work. And reaching people who never knew Jesus, who now come to know Jesus, who now join the building project. I think Ephesians 4 is helpful here. I reference it often. Verse 15 says this, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped. When each part's working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This building project, I'd like to invite you to participate in with me, it's a disciple-making project. We build the local church, the temple of God, by speaking true things in love about the gospel that saves them and sanctifies them and sustains them and carries them till the day they see Jesus face to face. To build up the church is to love one another by speaking truth into one another's lives for their good. It's discipleship. It's the mission of God is simpler than we make it out to be. It's groups of people committed to each other, saying true things to each other for one another's good that they might look more like Jesus to a lost and dying world. If you were to ask me what the most important thing you could do to serve St. Rose Community Church, I would say two things. First, tell unbelievers about the grace of Jesus and invite them into the best conceivable news in the world. Secondly, I would say go relationally deep with a group of people and care about their spiritual growth. Build them up and be built up for the glory of God that the temple of God might ever be expanding to include more living stones. This is the work. 
It's the most important thing that we do, the most important building project we will ever throw ourselves into. We all have a part to play, and perhaps our part is slightly different, but it will include those two things, telling other people about Jesus and helping people follow Jesus more. Verse 10, again, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let's each take care how he builds upon it. And then he gives a, a clarifier here. This is important. Verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Truth number three. God is building his temple on the foundation of Jesus. There is one message that makes any of this possible. There is one way to enjoy the presence of God, to know him and to make him known. There's one foundation, and that foundation is Jesus himself. The Old Testament temple could not be entered. The Holy of Holies could not be entered without blood sacrifice, which would temporarily provide the covering for you sinful people to enter into the presence of God. The ministry of the temple every day in the Old Testament was the ministry of blood sacrifice. The temple of the Old Testament emphasized through all of its rituals, even through its own construction, that sinners were separated from the holy presence of God unless they entered into his presence with the required substitutionary blood of a sacrifice. The whole temple system was communicating something about the cosmic temple of God. You don't get into his presence without your sin being paid for. The temple communicated so many things. The majesty of God, the beauty of God, the value of being in the presence of God, the centrality of God with a whole city surrounding this central moment. But it also communicated to the people, I don't deserve to be in the presence of God unless my sin is paid for by something. You'd walk by the temple and you would smell the stench of the burning animals and see the smoke and see the blood trickling out because you saw that is a place I wish I could be in. But that is a place I am kept outside of unless payment is made. And Jesus made the payment. See, the story of the Bible is that when Jesus' bloody body breathed one last time on the cross of Calvary, the ground shook, the sky went dark, and the veil in the temple ripped from top to bottom. This was the undeniable message to the world that the way into the presence of God now... It's no longer through the veil of a physical temple, but through the substitutionary death of the perfect sacrifice. This is the message of the Bible. This is the message of Hebrews. Hebrews 9, verse 22. Listen to the author of Hebrews. Indeed, under the law, everything was purified with blood. Almost everything was purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And listen to how he conceptualizes why the temple existed and what it was getting us ready for. Verse 23. Thus it was necessary... For the copies of heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priests enter the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he, being Jesus, 
has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed, listen to this, for man to die once, and after that come the judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly are waiting for him. Jesus is the foundation of the church, the living God, because it's through faith in his blood sacrifice that qualifies any of us to come into his presence, that qualifies any of us to be a living stone in the building project of God. And if there's anything other than Jesus Christ and him crucified that serves as the primary unifying factor of a church, it's not a true church. If the foundation of any church, if the foundation... Is their music or entertainment value, the charisma of the leader, their openness and inclusivity of all people, their programming. If any church has any foundation other than Jesus, that church crumbles on the last day into pieces when Christ splits open the sky and returns for his own. We, we do a, a membership class here at our church for this primary reason. We want to know whether you have saving faith in Jesus, the foundation. So on the last day, you will not be surprised by not being with us. Because the last thing we want to do is publicly say that you're one of us right now while your life is actually built on a different foundation that will give way in the end. See, God's building his temple on the foundation of Jesus, and just as God gave particular instruction for how the physical temple should be built, he gave instruction for how we do this thing called church. We're not left to our own creativity or ingenuity. We're not the architect in this deal. We're the builders. We follow the plans he's given. And see, the problem in Corinth is that the people of Corinth thought they were wiser than God. They began building the Corinthian church by leveraging Corinthian values, by taking cues from the culture, by elevating individual leaders to be the star power of the church. And listen to what Paul says in verse 12. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Truth number four, God cares how we build his temple. According to this analogy, there's a way to build God's church with the building materials of our own choosing that will burn up on the last day. And there's a way to build God's church with building materials that will endure the purifying fire of God's coming judgment. Now, we need to pause for a moment and recognize how sobering this is. Because remember... This is a spiritual temple constructed of people. The stones that make up this temple are people. People are either built on the right foundation, 
with the right materials or they are not. The text says there's coming a day, or rather, there's coming the day that the whole Bible anticipates, where God's people will be tested by fire. In other words, they'll be tested by the fiery presence of God, which means there's coming a day where everyone in this room will either endure the day or be consumed by the day. The people in this room who follow Jesus will pass through the fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, unsinged by the flames and rejoicing that Jesus was with them in it. The people in this room who do not follow the true Jesus will be consumed by that fire forever. And Paul warns, there's a way to build a church. There's a way to build a crowd that on the last day will be worthless there's a way to build it in a way where the, the, the materials, the stones of the building will not survive the judgment of God because they were not on the foundation. There's a way to fill a room full of people who will be surprised on the last day. Paul's referencing here a prophecy from Malachi he believes is fulfilled in the church. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire, and like a fuller's soap, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. The question is, who can stand before the day of judgment? The answer is those who've thrust themselves on the sacrifice of Jesus. Those who trust in the salvation that God has provided. From the context of 1 Corinthians We've already been told what the durable materials are and what the flammable materials are. How do you build according to God's design and not according to man's wisdom? I mean, the durable material that we work with, the tools in the hands of the builders, verse 18 of chapter 1, isn't it? For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The durable material that constructs the living stones of God's temple for the refining fire of the last day is the word of the cross that's believed by everyone in this room who is being saved by the power of God. It's a fearful thing to consider that many churches of people, even in our city, will be surprised on the day of judgment because the builders were building with something other than the word of the cross, which is the power to save. And it's a wonderful thing, a wonderful thing to consider how great our reward will be if we faithfully build God's people with God's word till we see him face to face. I was thinking about this this morning, eight years ago, we planted St. Rose Community Church. We began the spiritual building project, praying and preaching and praying and preaching the word of the cross. And we slowly began to see spiritual stones added to the temple. And so one day... We all together will get to stand on the day of God's refining fire and, and we will be rejoicing, not weeping. 
Because we will look around and we will see the faces of those who believe the word of the cross and join themselves to this local church. We will look around and we will see Andreas and Carly and Jared and Kelsey and Lizzie and Trevor and Travis and Mark and Kaylee and Jordan and Aiden and Arden and John and Zach and Sean and Shannon and Haley and Casey and Jessica and Isaiah and Jeffrey and Jenny and Paige and Amber, just to name a few that have professed their faith in this room, that their foundation is Jesus. God is doing something. As we plant local churches and strengthen local churches who preach the word, he's doing something glorious and good and eternal. He's building himself a people who get to enjoy his presence and get to enjoy the reward of that labor for eternity. Do you not know that you are God's temple? That God's spirit dwells in you? And if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. How precious are we in the sight of God? For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. All right. Four minutes, four takeaways. Number one. Number one. Uh, join a church. Doesn't have to be this one. Join a church. You were made to be an interconnected living stone committed to other living stones carrying out the building project. And it's hard to say whether you are actually built on the foundation of Jesus if you are not connected to any other living stones that actually are. It's hard to say you're a part of the building and you're on the foundation if you are not connected with any of the other stones. <laughs> Join a church. God's commanded you to be. Number two, uh, build God's church. You are to contribute to this. You're made to build one another's faith. You are made to share the word of the cross. You were made to contribute, to support, to sacrifice for, to serve, to pray for the ocean of getting local churches into communities and neighborhoods and places all over the world where they, they don't see the manifest presence of God in their lives, and they've got no one to tell them of the best news in the world. Number three, be God's church. What I mean by that is be holy, be set apart. God's temple is holy. You are that temple. You're the reflection of God to the watching world. That is who you are. That is what you are. That's what God's made you to be. God's spirit is in you. God's experiential presence is in the lives of your relationship with other Christians. Take care of your witness and how you represent a holy God. And number four, check your foundation. And Jesus himself says, I will build my church. The Bible very clearly commands you to be part of this work, but many people refuse any involvement in the cosmic building project of God because they have church hurt in their past. So they reject the church because of the pain the church has caused them while saying that they don't reject Jesus, just the gathering of Jesus' church. They don't reject the head, just Jesus' body. They don't reject the foundation, just the building upon the foundation. You cannot reject the church without directly and de deliberately disobeying Jesus. The foundation, the temple, and the manifest presence of God are a package deal. They go together. And others might really enjoy the community of the church in this room. Perhaps you enjoy it, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You're trying to build the stick framing of the church and you don't have the thing that makes it possible 
You love the relationships, you love the love you experience in a church, and I'm begging you to check the foundation. The people in this church are still sinners. They will let you down. They cannot save you. They will not be able to stand in front of you on the day of judgment when you stand before God. Only Jesus can do that. They will let you down, and and when they do, it'll be tested whether Jesus is the foundation or not. Do not reject the church because it's hurt you. Run to it as a fellow sinner who also struggles with hurting other people (laughs) and find the Jesus who forgives and works through this messy bunch of living stones constructed together for the glory of God. Jesus is the foundation. He saved you. He filled you with the Spirit. He will sustain you, and one day he will welcome you in the fullness of his presence, and in his temple you will be consumed by his presence forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray, and let's respond. Father, we give you glory and honor and praise for doing what you have done in this place. And Lord, I just pray um, for the churches in our area, for for the cities that we are in contact with who do not have a pastor, who do not have a gathering of saints that reflects the majesty of God. Lord, I pray that, Father, that you would, uh, as, as Christian Norton preaches in Dissalmans today, they've been without a pastor for years, God, we pray that they would experience the glory and the goodness of what this text suggests the local church really is. Father, I pray for Rio Vista, as they've been without a pastor for some time and are down to just seven or eight people, and God, I pray for those people to see and savor and hunger for what the church really is. And may they worship you. God, I pray for the uh, countless others, churches, Father, that perhaps have lost sight of what a joy it is to be a part of this building project. And God, I pray for the countless neighborhoods and cities, Father, where it's not even an option for someone to walk into a body of believers and see the goodness of God, and hear the goodness of God. May we be a church that's about your work, your business, your mission, Lord. Help us to respond in song now. In Jesus' name, amen.